Well, as you can see, we're starting a, a new series uh, called Tough Love and uh, excited to dive into the, the book of James. We want to find out from you guys if anybody else grew up with a, a family that was into home remedies. Anybody else have any home remedies that you grew up with? Uh, maybe I'm the only one. I had uh, my mom, whenever we'd get a sore throat, she had this concoction that I think my aunt maybe made in her bathtub. It was, uh, our family called it liniment, and I don't even know what that word means, but it was like this oily substance that you'd rub on your throat, and then, uh, and then she had a, she'd take a, a tube sock and then, and then pin it around your neck so that it, it kept it close to your throat. And I remember that this liniment, I, I know you guys are like, whoa, who did we sign up to bring here? Uh, <laughs> But, uh, but I, I remember it was kind of a tough thing because when I'd first, you'd smell this liniment, she'd take the top off the, the little container and like it immediately like invaded the entire room. You're like, whoa, that stuff was potent. Like it stunk like none other. And I remember smelling it, but it was a, it was a weird thing because as much as you knew that it really stunk and it was nasty from wherever, back hills of wherever, and, uh, but, but you knew that like you put that crazy stuff on your neck, you put the sock around your neck, all of a sudden after you start breathing it in, after a while you're like, ooh, my throat feels better. Like it's, it kind of soothed it. And I know there's going to be a lineup afterwards getting the, uh, uh, the directions on how to make it. But, uh, but that was, that was uh, one of those things that it, it came to mind when I was thinking, and you guys are like, well, how does this apply to James even remotely? But I was thinking about that. I was like, a lot of times there's some stuff that you got to go through, some like tough stuff to get to the good stuff, right? And there's some things that you need doses of. Maybe you grew up with a bad medicine that you knew you had to take in order to start to feel better. And that's really the book of James to some degree. Is It's like, man, it's kind of rough coming down and it coming on us. But as you start to unpack it, you're like, man, God's doing a work through this, through the truth of his word. And the truth is, is that a lot of us still, myself included, still has that old self that's holding on pretty tight some of that truth ointment of God's word needs to peel off those layers in our heart. And so that's what we're praying for through this series is that through his word and through the truth of the book of James, uh, that some of the tough love that, that maybe we need uh, will we'll, we'll do a change in our, in our hearts and in this church and who knows, maybe even the community. Let me pray for us as we begin. Dear God, we just thank you this morning uh, for the opportunity to be together for a chance to dive into your word, for how practical it is, for how it meets us exactly where we're at. I pray now just that your spirit would just use the, the message of your word here uh, to just do a work in our hearts. God, we don't want to be the same. We want to constantly be coming more and more like you. And we know that that's only possible through your son, through your strength, through your spirit. And so that's why right now we're pausing to invite that. But we know that sometimes that comes through some tough words, and so we're trusting that you're gonna that you're gonna use this powerfully in our life. Pray that in Jesus Christ's name, Amen. Well, if you guys don't have a Bible, um, 
Uh, here's an ongoing invite. If you guys are newer here to the church and you don't own a Bible, we have a bunch that we can give you for free. And so just meet an usher or one of us afterwards, and we can, we're happy to give you a Bible of your own. But we're going to be working through just kind of verse by verse through the book of James. And so if you guys want to turn with me there now, if you don't have a Bible with you, this is a good opportunity to make a friend with a person next to you uh, or reach to the Bible underneath your seat. And uh, so a couple different options there. So we're going to be uh, we're going to be working through chapter one here this morning. And it starts by uh, in verse one, there gives a a little bit of background of who's talking and a little bit of an intro. So I'm just going to glance just firstly at uh, and then set this up. But first at verse one, it says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ and who he's writing to to the 12 tribes in the dispersion. Greetings. So that's how we're, we're starting, and so we'll start with a little uh, setup there, who the author is. Most would agree that this would be James, the brother of Jesus. And I love how he introduces himself. He introduces himself as a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. I was thinking about that this week, and just uh, if there's ever proof of the deity of Christ being who he claimed to be, like a brother is going to sniff out anything that's not true, right? And so if this is Jesus' brother, and, uh, and he's, he's not going to be... How many brothers or kids do you guys have that, that would describe themselves as being a servant? I'm a, I don't picture Alexa saying, I'm a servant to Chase. That's not going to happen unless there's a deity piece there. And so, uh, and so here, uh, James is introducing himself as a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. And who he's writing to, I love the humility there... He's then writing to the 12 tribes in dispersion. During this time, this was when after Christ had, had, uh, had left, there was quite the persecution that arose amongst uh, the, the Christians there. And so he's writing the word dispersed, meaning the people that had been sent out because of their wanting to follow Christ. And so their the Christians are meeting in, in homes and caves and, and trying to find anywhere where they can meet without being persecuted. And so he's writing this letter as a form of encouragement. And it's people, if there's ever people that would know trials, that would be the folks here that he's writing to. And, and uh, today, still, even, I don't know if you guys uh, read anything about present-day church and some of the persecution just going uh, around the world. I was reading even uh, in the last day, just the, the ten, uh, on average in China, still 10,000 people being martyred for Christ on a, on a monthly basis. Every month, 10,000 people dying for the name of Christ. Like, just unbelievable to think of the, the suffering and pain. And so this topic of trials that we're going to be getting into, if there's ever an audience that would get it, it would be the people that he's writing to, right? And you can read it in the early church some of the suffering that they went through. So he's writing as a, as a form of encouragement to them. And the style of his writing, it's, uh, it would be kind of, it's, it's tough to preach from James because it's fairly sporadic. It doesn't necessarily fall into a nice, it's kind of like the wisdom uh, literature where it's kind of jumps from topic to topic and, and moves around. And so hopefully you guys are okay with maybe some less clean three-point outlines and maybe a little bit of jumping from some different topics because that's how it's written and so that's how I'm going to have to preach. You guys okay with that? So, uh, so it's kind of, it's, and what's also interesting is that there's more, there's more d- commands 
in the book of James than anywhere else in Scripture. So the, there's tons of commands. It gives lots of directives. So it's kind of, kind of like getting in the ring with a UFC fighter. You don't know if you're going to get punched, kicked, or choked. Uh, but all those things are going to happen in the book of James. And so excited to see how God's going to use this. Today, the topic that he starts with, and I'm pretty sure that most of us can relate with this topic, the topic of trials. Trials, and we've I've titled the, the the sermon here today "Maximizing Trials" because that's really his hope as he's speaking to the folks here is just that you make the most out of your trials. So we're going to look at verse verse two, and uh, this one it starts by saying this: "Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds." We'll pause there. Count it all joys, my brother. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials. Of various kinds, we could camp on this verse alone for our entire time because there's a lot to unpack there. This one, we'll start with this point: the idea that trials are gonna come. Trials are gonna come, and we're maybe not a very vocal group, but maybe some of us a little bit older, a little bit further down the road. If there is ever a time for an amen, we'll try it again. Trials are gonna come. Amen. Amen. They, they come. In fact, it doesn't say they might come. Uh, it, it says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Not if. It's, it's going to happen. And so if you've been walking for more th- through life for more than a couple years, uh, then, then you've probably had your, your taste of trials. And I've realized about trials is that they're rarely announced. They usually come at the worst possible time. And they tend to come in waves of two or more at one, than one at any given time. Anybody notice that? So they don't come. They're not announced. They're never something that you're planning for. And they usually come in waves. So are you guys encouraged yet? Yeah. So all right. Now let's go home. Um, so uh, I, I was reading. It, it made me chuckle. That this article is from uh, or this uh, snippet from a book in my, by Max Lucata called In the Eye of the Storm. It's talking about a parakeet, so you'll see how this relates, maybe. Chippy the parakeet never saw it coming. One second he was peacefully perched in his cage. The next he was sucked in, washed up, and blown over. The problems began when Chippy's owner decided to clean Chippy's cage with a vacuum cleaner. She removed the attachment from the end of the hose and stuck it in the cage. The phone rang, and she turned to pick it up. She'd barely said hello when, swoop! Chippy got sucked in. The bird owner gasped, put down the phone, turned off the vacuum, and opened the bag. There was Chippy, still alive, but stunned. Since the bird was covered with dust and soot, she grabbed him and raced to the bathroom, turned on the faucet, and held Chippy under the running water. (laughs) Then, realizing that Chippy was soaked and shivering, she did what any compassionate bird owner would do. She reached for the hair dryer, and blasted the pet with hot air. Poor Chippy never knew what hit him. A few days after the trauma, the reporter who had initially written about the event contacted Chippy's owner to see how the bird was recovering. Well, she replied, Chippy doesn't sing much anymore. <laughs> he just sits and stares. <laughs> and I think that's, that's kind of like us. How life works, it's hard not to see why. He was sucked in, washed up, 
and blown over. And many of us, if we're honest with ourselves, maybe we're showing up this morning and that's the way that we describe and we're just kind of staring. Because trials come, we don't expect them, they never come at a time we want, they usually come in pairs. But here's what it says in the text. It says something crazy. It says, count it all joy. Count it all joy, my brothers, when they meet trials of various kinds. They don't just come. There's a variety of them. Count it all joy. What does that mean? What does that mean to count them all joy? The word count is the idea is there of taking an inventory. Taking an inventory, stopping and slowing down. If you think about it in your life, as I was reflecting on this this week, think back in your life of how your trials have shaped you. How who you are today are a big part of your trials. The things that you've experienced, the hard times. I think back of the trials that I've faced in the, and how they've shaped maybe a little bit more of a dependence on God. A little bit more of appreciation for when things are going well, right? Like the, the different ways that trials shape us are unbelievable. Maybe a gratitude, more of a gratitude for His people. Thankful for the way that, that God's people step up during trials. Lots of different ways. Humility. More thankful just for blessings. Noticing the little stuff. Trials shape us. So that's why it says count it all joy. But here's the thing. Is they can shape you. But sometimes you, if you don't respond to them properly. It can be shaped in the wrong way. Let's go on the text. Verse 3, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let not steadfastness have and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Here I've titled that section Trials Can Result in Spiritual Maturity. Trials can result in spiritual maturity. Because this is the goal. Do we realize that? That's God's goal in your life? Is that you're supposed to be becoming more and more like himself? More and more spiritually mature? More similar to his likeness? But is that your goal? As I was thinking about that, is that, is that our goal? Like when we think through our life and like, do we say like, yeah, that's my goal. I'm wanting to become more and more Christ-like. That's what I'm pursuing. That's what I'm aspiring towards. Would your calendar reflect that? Is that what it looks like? Does the, your, the, your schedule of your week, does it reflect that? Scheduling this idea of becoming perfect and complete and lacking nothing. Does that sound attractive? I'd love to get there. That'd be fantastic. Perfect, complete, and lacking nothing. That's God's desire in your life, in my life. But we see here in the text that part of that process of becoming like that, moving towards that, has to do with trials. I love it. It says that trials, it describes in the text that trials are a test. You guys ever stop and think about that? That trials are a test? It's kind of strange to think that God's up there and he's using these things as testing us, testing us. And how do we know if we're passing or failing the test? The text actually points out to, to the answer to that question. What does it say? It says, and let steadfast, it says, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. So the product of passing the test is steadfastness. The product is steadfastness. How are we doing on that? 
Would someone describe you as like, man, they are steadfast. I think of, of John and his, his road in the last five and a half years here. Steadfast, steadfast, passing the test. Steadfast by definition is resolutely firm and unwavering. Resolutely firm and unwavering. The idea of making the choice even when you're, under the, in, you're in the middle of the trial, just staying unwavering. Staying under, we're so quick to want to solve things, aren't we? When we're going through a trial, we're like, okay, I got to get out of this. I got to figure out how to solve this, how to get out. But what if God has you in a trial? Let's just leave you there. Let's leave you there for a season. Season to become more steadfast, more steadfast, unwavering. When the storms of life come, remaining under, steadfast. I love uh, the idea of that becoming uh, steadfast. My we have uh, a family uh, members that they went through in early 2000, whenever it was that the stock market really went south. Uh, and maybe some of you went through that season too, where they just lost a lot. I mean, they lost a lot. And this family member just, uh, they went from when they, we'd visit with them, they, they'd treat to every meal out to all of a sudden they're like, why don't we eat in, you know? And P&J sounds nice, you know, and like, so, so things changed a lot with the, this family member just because their finances had made a major turn. And I was talking to the wife at one point, and I, this has stuck with me for quite a while. I was asking, like, how are you guys doing with this? Like, it's a, it's a big change, like no more world travel, no, like things have drastically shifted in, in your life. And what she said stuck with me. She said, you know what? For a while, it was really hard. It was, it was a hard time. But then she said, but when we realized that our joy isn't attached to the things that we have, all of a sudden, it wasn't such a big deal anymore, you know? And I thought there was a lot of wisdom in that. And what she, she came to that conclusion is that when, when we count our trials as joy, when we start to see them and we're remaining steadfast under, all of a sudden, we become pretty much untouchable. When our circumstances aren't the thing that determines whether we have joy or not, man, what an awesome place to be. That's, that's what Scripture is describing when it says about being perfect and complete and lacking nothing. When all of a sudden our circumstances don't determine our joy, man, that's an awesome place to be. And that's God's desire for us. That's His desire in shaping us and molding us through trials. But here's the thing is that, that experiencing trials doesn't guarantee spiritual growth, right? Like you can go through trials and you can have the, they can have the exact opposite effect on us. You can go through difficult times and you just make the choice to be like just angry, bitter God, shaking your fist, mad as people, like holding on to bitterness. Like they could, trials can have a couple different effects in our life, right? Have you maybe experienced that a little bit of your, in, your, in your own nature? Just that pull towards, man, when trials come, it could be pretty easy to respond to it poorly as well. So they don't guarantee it. But man, if we can choose to remain steadfast and not allowing our circumstances to determine our joy. This isn't easy stuff to do. In fact, we're going to see here in verse 5 that trials also require wisdom. Trials require wisdom. Verse 5 says this. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. 
The one who doubts is like, a wave, is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. Trials require wisdom. Notice that it says that what we're supposed to do as far as, far as wisdom goes, it's something that we ask for, not look for. I think sometimes we get a little bit confused there. We start looking across the horizon of what the world offers with wisdom, and you're like, oh, I'll grab some wisdom here. Oh, Oprah can solve this. Oh, this, you know, like we, we pick all the wrong places to find wisdom instead of going back to the source, asking for it. But then doubt, doubt's going between trusting God and trusting myself, going back and forth like, well, I'll kind of put this in God's hands, but then I kind of want to bring it back. Anybody have that, that teetering happen in your life where like one day you ask how you're doing? Yeah, I'm doing great. I'm just trusting God. Then the next day you teeter and you're like, whoa, but how am I going to solve this? Wisdom is something that we ask, from, from God, ask for from God. It's not something that we seek out. I love the description that it gives there. It says, tossed like a wave. Tossed like a wave. My... Um, one of the neat experiences I've gotten to do over the years is with working with young adults, I've gotten to lead a ton of different serving trips. And one of the more recent ones that I've gotten to do is, uh, I know it's a really tough part of the world. We're in St. Vincent uh, in the Caribbean uh, was where the a church plant for harvest that I went to help out with. And uh, it's where they, where they filmed the... Um, Pirates of the Caribbean movies and really just a beautiful spot. And so we were down there serving with the church. And on one of the trips, I was, uh, was there. And uh, we were, the, the spot that we were in had this little bay. And probably out about 200 yards, there was this um, mini little rock island. And all week, just the adventurous side of me is like, man, that's only two, 300 yards out there. Like, that would be pretty sweet to swim out, swing, swim around and come back. I feel f- fairly confident in my swimming skills. And, uh, and so I, I, I coerced one of the other leaders one day. I said, you know what? Like, look out. That, that's doable. We could do that. We could make it out there. And so, I, so we went off on the swim. We had the snorkel gear on. We had the, uh, the flippers. And I'm like, I'm going to do it. I'm just going to swim around. It's going to be a piece of cake. So start swimming around. And when we're on the front side of, the, of things, on the, on the side closest to the shore, like, man, it was a nice, easy swim. We're going around, going around. Start taking a turn around the corner of this little island and all of a sudden, we're feeling like the full like force of the waves of the, the, the great ocean around us. And it starts hitting us. And, and at first, I'm just like, oh, we can do this. But I'm like, man, it's a few hundred yards around this thing. And like, I'm swimming and, and struggling and, and just making it by. And like, literally, I don't know if you guys have ever had one of those swimming experiences where you're like, I might not make it. You know what I mean? Like, it, it, was, it was one of those, like, I might not live to tell this story at ABF. And, uh, and, and so, so I'm just plugging along and I'm trying to check back and I'm like, man, I don't want to kill my leader, volunteer leader behind me. So I'm like, are you okay? I'm kind of yelling back to him. And the cool thing, what we, what we learned in that process, how we made it work is we started swimming down and then swimming forward. We got below the waves and started seeing like, oh, it's kind of peaceful under here. It's not quite as, as rippling. We got down below the waves, and the swim was much more doable. It was much more doable. And the parallel here, as hopefully you can see, that is very similar in this life, 
is when you get down below the waves, when you don't like the, the waves of circumstances and life and all the things that it throws at you, when all of a sudden you get down below the waves, it's much more doable. And that's what he's saying here is, is having faith, not being swayed, tossed to and fro, back and forth. And then he says, he says I love what he says, that when you ask for wisdom, he says, who gives it generously, who gives it generously. It's not like God is up there waiting to give you just a little morsel of wisdom. He's like, man, come ask for it. I've got tons to give. I want to just pour it out for you. I want to give you more than you believe that you can even take. I'm a huge fan of buffets and like I love large portions. And, uh, and, and as I get a little bit older, older and that metabolism slows, it's kind of heartbreaking to say goodbye to some of the buffets. Anybody else like that? And uh, yeah, hey, there's another amen there. I'm getting it going. I love that I'm getting amens to buffets. And so, um, but, but this whole idea of like, there's something about us like loves the idea of being a God that's generous. He loves to just pour it out on us if we ask for it. So in the middle of our trial, let's not, let's not be so quick to try to solve it. Let's not be so quick to like get, get bitter or frustrated. What if we just say like, God, just give me wisdom. Give me the strength to persevere, to, to keep on going. Because we're going to see here in the next section that trials, we're going to see in verse 9, that trials will pass. Take a look at verse 9. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. Also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. In summary there, section, those beaten down will be lifted up. Those lifting themselves up will fall. Those beaten down will be lifted up. This is a word of encouragement. So a, a word of encouragement for those of you that are, are going through these trials and you're just like, man, I'm in the middle of it. It just seems like it just keeps on coming. It's kind of like the underdog story, right? Anybody else big fan of underdog stories? I, uh, I was talking to, to Chad just this week about it, just like, hey, what are some good underdog sports illustrations from this side of the, of the country? And, uh, and he referred to the 88 Dodgers. Is that a hockey team? Um, the 88 Do Dodgers, and they, they had this, this insurmountable mountain to overcome, I guess, and they did something well, and they won. And so, and, and so, and so the idea of the underdogs are... Or, or this, this, this week in NCAA basketball, anybody watching the tournament? I haven't really, but I heard about Wichita State doing something pretty impressive. Ninth seed. And, like there's something about the underdog and, and, and somebody going through like these difficult trials knowing that they're going to pass. Knowing that they're going to pass. These are words that we can cling to. Let the lowly brothers boast in his exaltation. But then it's interesting, and I said about the getting uh, punched from different directions. Then he has a word for the wealthy, those for, that have made the choice to, to pursue that as a top priority. Those that are self-consumed with chasing their own pursuits, trying in this never-ending pursuit of lifting themselves up, trying to acquire more, build up more, do things on their own, this whole self-reliance, more, more, more. Some years back, I was, um, 
When I was on staff at Willow Creek Community Church, John Ortberg was the teaching pastor and uh, really uh, was blessed by being under a season of his, his ministry there. And he, he spoke one time and he told the story and uh, he told a story. And here's the thing is I was thinking in my prep, like I could try to tell the story or I could let you guys listen to this story that captures the idea. This is probably breaking sermon etiquette to pr- play another pastor for a couple minutes to hear a story. Are you guys okay with that? So this is a story that I thought captured this picture in a fantastic way. Take a listen. Now, my grandmother was a wonderful person. She taught me how to play the game Monopoly. She understood that the name of the game is to acquire. She would accumulate everything she could, and eventually she became the master of the board. And eventually, every time, she would take my last dollar, and I would quit in utter defeat. And then she would always say the same thing to me. She'd look at me and she'd say, one day you'll learn to play the game. One summer I played Monopoly with a neighbor almost every day, all day long. We'd play Monopoly for hours. And that summer I learned to play the game. I came to understand the only way to win is to make a total commitment to acquisition. I came to understand that money and possessions, that's the way that you keep score. And by the end of that summer... I was more ruthless than my grandmother. I was ready to bend the rules if I had to to win that game. And I sat down with her to play that fall. I took everything she had. I destroyed her financially and psychologically. I watched her give her last dollar and quit in utter defeat. And then she had one more thing to teach me. Then she said, Now it all goes back in the box. All those houses and hotels, all the railroads and utility companies, all that property and all that wonderful money, now it all goes back in the box. I didn't want it to go back in the box. No, she said, none of it was really yours. You got all heated up about it for a while. But it was around a long time before you sat down at the board. And it will be here after you're gone. Players come and players go. But it all goes back in the box. Houses and cars. Titles and clothes. Filled barns. Bulging portfolios. Even your body. Because the fact is that everything I clutch and consume and hoard is going to go back in the box and I'm going to lose it all. That's not much of an ROI on that. You have to ask yourself, when you finally get the ultimate promotion, when you've made the ultimate purchase, when you buy the ultimate home, when you have stored up financial security and climbed the ladder of success to the highest rung you can possibly climb it, and the thrill wears off, and it will wear off, Then what? How far do you have to walk down that road before you see where it leads? Surely you understand it'll never be enough. So you have to ask yourself the question, what matters? Convicting stuff, right? For the sun rises 
With its scorching heat and withers the grass, its flower falls and its beauty perishes. Also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Challenging word for us. Something to think about. What is it, what is it that's worth, worth chasing after? You see there in the, the text that, that, that he, he turns a corner and he says, that, that's, that's an empty pursuit. But then look in verse 12, what's actually worth pursuing. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. That's this idea of that trials can lead to reward. That there is a payoff at the end of the line. Like if we make the choice to just keep chasing after him. Making him the priority in his life. I, lo- I love halftime speeches and in the, the good news uh, at the middle of a, a game. And when things are going hard, the coach comes in and you think of, of Hoosiers. They, they say, man, you can do it. Keep going. There's a prize at the end. And that's maybe a word that some of us needed to hear this morning and when you're dealing with trials is, one, it's going to pass, and two, that there's a reward at the end of all of this. For those, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. The idea of crown of life is referring to eternal life. For those who have steadfast and stayed the course, and it says that those who uh, promise to those who love him, those who genuinely love him and follow him, there's an end that we can look forward to. There's a hope that we can cling to. 1 Corinthians 2.9 says this, What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. That's something to look forward to. So when we're in our trials, when we're in the middle of the ache and the pain and the hardships of this life where you're just like, this just stinks. Just knowing that this is the worst. For those of us that love Christ, I love thinking about this concept. That that this, this lifetime, is the worst that you're ever going to experience in all of eternity. Like there's there's good days ahead. Like it doesn't get any worse than this. So, so uh, some of us are like, well, then that's not so bad, right? And so the, the idea, if you have a saving relationship with Jesus Christ, if you've bent your knee, if you've embraced Jesus' death as payment for your sins, like, things only get better, right? And so maybe some of you that are going through a miserable season just needed to hear that this morning, like, there's a light at the end of the tunnel. This is as bad, this lifetime, it doesn't get worse, it only gets better, and that, that's what, what, what he chooses, what James chooses to end this section with. Yes, there's trials. It's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. It's going gonna, it's gonna to weigh on us probably more than we think we can handle. But there's a light at the end of the tunnel. There's a reward at the end. There's, the reward is to be back reunited with Christ in the relationship for eternity that we were designed to be in. That's the reward. That's the end line. And so for some of us this morning, maybe that's all you needed to hear this morning. Just keep going. Remain steadfast. Stay true to this. Some of us maybe needed to hear the word from John Ortberg that I felt convicted to play in this message here today. Man, stop chasing after the wrong stuff. Don't get distracted with stuff that's just temporal and fleeting. Stay after the right stuff. Just in conclusion, just thinking through trials 
the idea that, that they're going to come, that, you, that it's, it's a guarantee. They're going to come and not only just come, but they're going to come in a lot of different varieties. They're going to come from all different directions. But the choice is, how are we going to respond to them? Are we going to allow them to be part of the, the shaping process of becoming more Christ-like? Or are we going to allow them to turn us to become bitter and angry? Are we, like, what are we going to do with our trials? How can we maximize them? I don't know. Myself, personally, I want, to, I want to use them for God doing exactly what it described there in the text. That you may be perfect and complete and lacking nothing. I know that we can't do that on our own. Let me pray for us in conclusion. God, we thank you so much for this text. The challenge that it brings. The crossroads that it brings to us, even in our trials, making choices how we're going to respond. Are we going to allow our trials to steal our joy? Are we going to let our circumstances, the waves, to be somebody that's just tossed to and fro by our trials? Are we going to remain steadfast? God, we recognize that we can't do that without you, and so we're asking for that. We're grateful for this text this morning. We're grateful for the, the word of encouragement, even at the end, that James chooses to lift up those beaten down believers at the time saying that there's there's an end line in sight he who, stood, he who has stood the test will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him pray this in Jesus Christ's name well the blessing is is that we don't have to try to do this on our own the blessing is that we have community to go through trials with and I want to invite up the, the elders up front here. If there's something that you're going through this week that you're like, man, I would just love to have someone just take a few minutes and just pray with me to, to encourage me. We'd love to do that for you immediately following the service. But otherwise, I pray that this week that that, that blessed hope, that hope of eternity, that, that hope that we have at the end of the line, that keeps us trucking. That's the halftime speech that maybe we needed here this morning. I pray you have a fantastic week in the Lord. God bless you.